This should be played at high volume, preferably in a residential area. Live and local from the 237 Roof Studios in Upper Lafayette, this is Acadiana's number one sports station, 1037 The Game. Streaming live on 1037thegame.com and on the free 1037 The Game mobile app. It's Saturday. Take a walk on the wild side and get your Saturday started with an inside look under the dome with the world-famous CD. Do you know who I am? I don't know how to put this, but I'm kind of a big deal. On 1037 The Game. And welcome, everyone, to the must-listen-to Saturday morning sports talk show in all of Acadia, dare I say, the entire state. Under the Dome with a CD only on Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game and 1037thegame.com. We're live, as always, from the 237 Roof Studios, presented by Lafayette Roofing from the roof to the roots of Acadiana. Lafayette Roofing has got you covered. You just got to call them up at 237-ROOF, 237-7663. But if you want to get in on the conversation, you can chat us up anytime. The Arco Equipment Hotline, it is wide open up until 1030-337-706-0111. That's how you get in on the action here on 103.7 The Game. But, of course, there's a lot of action to get to. It is August the 24th, a wonderful Saturday. And why am I saying it? It's because of the fact that Manchester United are playing right now. They're on the pitch. Maybe for me at least. The Saints, they're getting ready for a preseason game. Of course, that's going to be something we talk about. But the biggest thing of them all is college football's back, baby. We are getting ready for a wonderful start to the 2019 college football season. And we get to all that and a whole lot more. Some other big headlines, obviously. Brooks Kepka in control heading into the tour championship round on Saturday. They wind up having a rain-shortened second round on Friday, but Brooks Kepka looks to be in control heading into Saturday. Dwight Howard back with the Lakers. Mississippi State on probation after Tudor Gate. We all know what happened there. Definitely going to be interesting to see what happens there. And then also the MLB. I'll talk about around the bases more in terms of the baseball aspect, what happened on the field. But I'm going to say this. The Players Weekend jerseys have gone over like a wet fart. It's just not exactly the best thing in the world. It has been an absolute mess seeing those jerseys, especially the Astros' white jerseys. The white jerseys are an absolute atrocity. I get why they're doing it, but it just does not look good, the the, the white-out jersey. Because it's hard to tell those numbers unless you see actual pictures of them. Like The black jerseys I'm okay with because you can actually see the numbers. It makes sense. You can see that outline. It all works out. The white jerseys are an absolute mistake, and those have gone over, like I said, like a wet fart. But, of course, there's other things we're talking about, and that's why we do things every single Saturday morning, getting things kick-started off the show right with what's on tap for the weekend. The weekend is finally upon us. Oh, hell yeah! Pull up a bar stool, and let's get you informed about what's on tap right now. All right, it's time to kind of talk things about what's going on this weekend. The biggest thing of them all is college football is back, baby. It get hyped up, but I guarantee you no one, and I mean no one, 
in the Acadian area, probably the entire country, is more hyped up than former Miami Hurricane, former Dallas Cowboy, Michael Irvin. The man is all kinds of amped up and wants to cause a whole lot of violence on some unsuspecting victims. How about that from the man himself, Michael Irvin, bringing the heat ahead of Florida-Miami, the main event of Week 0. University of Florida Twitter seems to think game day was yesterday. Nope, game day is today. We are officially back in college football mode. Mind you, you have to wait a little bit because the table's not quite set just yet because this game is going to wind up happening at 7 o'clock kickoff. It's the 3-5-2 versus the 3-0-5. Tom Petty. Versus Pitbull. Yes, we're going that route. A little bit, a little, little fun here on this Saturday morning. But, of course, we never really talk about Week Zero college football. And there's a big reason why. Because unless you're an absolute degenerate who bets on virtually every college football game, odds are you're not going to pay attention to an Arizona-Hawaii game. I feel like everybody's talking about the fact that you have two solid programs. Not quite the, the creme de la creme. It's not like we're seeing Alabama-LSU play Week Zero. That'll never happen. But I got to say, Florida-Miami has me interested because of the fact like there's a lot of things worth talking about. We, obviously, we got to start off Dan Mullen and the hype around the Gators heading into his second season at the helm of that program. That program had definitely been kind of up and down. Can it be back to consistency like it was back in the peak Steve Spurrier-Urban Meyer era? I think so. Dan Mullen has really shown himself to be one of the top dogs in the SEC and Dare I say, Coach O, he has his number, and he's able to kind of capitalize on that. We'll see what happens when it finally returns to Tiger Stadium later this year. But Florida-Miami is going to be intriguing, simply because of the fact that Felipe Franks, he's looking to build that momentum from 2018, where he almost had 2,500 yards and 24 touchdowns. He can turn things around. I'm intrigued to see where he goes. What happens there? Because Dan Mullen has shown himself to be a quarterback whisperer in the past, Look at Dak Prescott. Look at Nick Fitzgerald. Those guys were absolute studs at Mississippi State. He's able to make Mississippi State a sexy place to play. He can make Florida back to being a juggernaut in the SEC. Again, you know, you have to deal with with the, uh, the big bad Nick Tater, but I think he can handle his own on that aspect. Meanwhile, you look at Miami. Miami heading into last year had so much hype. They had more hype than anybody else. It was amazing to see what they were hyped up to be. The U, oh, it was coming back. It was coming back. I mean, you have Mark Rick's second year after having a phenomenal season as in the first-year head coach. You turned that program around virtually overnight, and now Mark Rick stepped down as a head coach. You have new head coach Manny Diaz being the man. I feel like it's lost a lot of its luster because the team just did not perform very well at all. We saw what happened. When they played LSU to start the season, and things continued to go off the rails for them. But, of course, the Hurricanes, it feels like it's just not exactly the best in the world because you don't have Tate Martell as the starter. I thought he would have wound up being the starter. Now you got a freshman in that spot who's going to get the start tonight when Florida takes on Miami. The Hurricanes, they feel a lot more like a tropical depression, if not a tropical disturbance. The Gators, seven to seven and a half point favorites. You'll get the sports books across the country. 
And what's interesting is the over-under is 50 and a half. I'll take the under and take Florida to win on that one. I'll take Florida and the under. It's and I think obviously they wind up covering that spread, but I think it's definitely interesting to see what's going to happen with this matchup because I feel like Florida could mollywop them like they mollywop Michigan and maybe Dan, maybe I'm a Manny Diaz calls the SEC cheaters like Michigan's head coach Jim Harbaugh did in a book or that apparently came out earlier this week. And, you know, there are some downsides with only two games on tap for week zero, and they don't start until about 7 o'clock. The bright side, though, for me at least, is Pac-12 after dark, sort of being back with Hawaii and Arizona. Of course, the Rainbow Warriors are Mountain West. But once 10.30 rolls around in this part of the world, Pac-12 after dark is in full effect, and some weird things can and likely will happen. It's going to be amazing. If someone's usually up all night on Saturdays and Sundays during football season, I'll admit it. Pac-12 football is my guilty pleasure because you never quite know what's going to happen. It's entertaining as all get out. If you don't love Pac-12 after dark, I don't know what you're doing. It's real football that actually matters and takes your mind off of all those scrimmages and generic coach speak and NFL preseason games, even though we'll get to one in just a little bit. It's the first steps towards having legit football back in our lives, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, yes, I'm getting excited. But you know what else is getting me excited? The fact that we have the Little League World Series going on. It doesn't often get in my general conversation when it comes to prepping out a show. Why? Because it doesn't really interest me unless there's some local juice to it. This year, there is local juice to it. It is a Louisiana team from River Ridge, the first team ever from the city of New Orleans to make it to the Little League World Series, first of all. But they're one win away from the World Championship game. It feels like something out of a Disney movie. River Ridge taking on Hawaii, who had eliminated them in the first round of the Little League World Series. They fought their way out of there from the loser's bracket to avoid the 0-2 barbecue and kept on rolling. Look what they did on Thursday night to get to this point, a 10 to nothing win. And if they can do that, they have every chance in the world to be world champions. But again, you need to get past Hawaii later today. I believe that's going to be a 3:30 first pitch. River Ridge, Hawaii. That is going to be awesome. And also, it's heard that you have Alex Bregman, former LSU Tiger, current Houston Astro. Give a little shout-out to River Ridge, who are noted LSU fans. East Bank Little League, congrats, guys. Way to make us all proud. We're rooting for you. Reese, big swing, bro. Keep swinging it. You guys keep doing it. Keep winning games. Proud of you guys. Keep keep working hard. Keep fighting. And uh, bring it all. Bring home the championship. Bring it all. Bring it all the way back to Louisiana. How about that from Alex Bregman? And I know the, the, that crowd is definitely LSU. They love LSU, from what I've all, all that I've heard. But it's going to be fun to see what happens later today whenever the Little League World Series sees River Ridge and Hawaii in the United States Finals. That would be great to see them pull that off. And the last thing that's on tap, I think, is obviously the penultimate preseason game, the second to last. If you're not a big fan of the $5 words that we're throwing out here, the Saints squaring up with a New York Jets team that feels, in keyword there, feels like a fringe wildcard team. Now, why is a Saints game on one of the big headlines on a show that has largely like, missed out on the preseason, largely put it under a rock and said, I'm not necessarily going to wind up talking about it all that much? Because the starters are playing tonight. You got Drew Brees, Alvin Kamara, all these guys are finally going to be playing, mind you, 
how long they'll play. I think they'll play maybe one series. I think that's where we're at right now in this season. We're going to wind up seeing these guys play one, maybe, just maybe two series over the course of tonight's matchup against the New York Jets. So because I think they just need to be able to show that they have a lot of chemistry, especially on the offensive side of the football. Have all of your ones in there. That's absolutely huge to have that on week three. Is then you obviously week four is going to be on a Thursday, and then you've got extra time off to get ready to open up the season. Monday night football, the first of those two doubleheaders, and they'll be taking on the Houston Texans inside the Mercedes-Benz Superdome. Cannot wait for that. And by the way, you'll actually hear that on Westwood One and our coverage on 103.7 The Game. Thanks to Westwood One and their coverage of the NFL. A little cheap plug right there. We're going to go ahead and take a quick commercial break. When we come back, it's time to talk some Louisiana Raging Cajuns. We're going to corner what's going on with the Raging Cajuns and if they can pull off the upset of all upsets. We'll talk about it next right here on Acadiana Sports Station. 1037 the game and 1037thegame.com. Once again, Arco Equipment Hotline open 337 706 0111. Under the Dome with CD is a show for all the degenerates out there. You make your rules and we will break them. Let's get back to the famous CD who will break it all down for us. Yeah! on 103.7 The Game. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD on Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com. Friendly reminder, the Art Co. Equipment Hotline is wide open for this segment. Next segment, we've got Steve Lassen of Athlon Sports joining the program. Talk a little bit of college football. We're going we're week zero now, but hey, want to talk a little bit about all the big storylines, especially what's going on with Mississippi State. We've obviously got a lot of news going on over there. Arizona, Hawaii expectations for last miles in year one at Kansas. Which coach is on the hot seat this year in his mind? heading into week one or week zero in this case. We're going to get his thoughts on that, but of course, the Arco Equipment Hotline is open for your opinion on this question. Do the Louisiana Raging Cajuns have a chance to beat Mississippi State? I think this is what's going to be causing all this on next week's show because they'll be playing at 11 a.m. We'll be kind of the whole two-hour, the whole two-hour two Monty, but we'll wind up getting into a conversation about a lot of different things involving the Louisiana Raging Cajuns and Mississippi State next. We give you some deets on that in just a little bit. But of course, I said the Arco Equipment Hotline's open before I give my take. I want your take. So let's get out to that Arco Equipment Hotline and figure out who it is and what they want to get on. You know, what's going on, man? What's up, Dizzle? Hey, Frank, what's up, Big Cat? Uh, not a lot. Just got off work, heard the show, decided to call in. Uh, any given Sunday, any team can beat any team. I know it's cliche, but. It is what it is. Uh, I think they have a legit shot, but they have to play together. They have to play, uh, you know, hard-nosed football. Uh, actually, what I really wanted to call in and ask was uh, if Breeze plays two series, if in case they don't score the first series, and what do you think the final is going to be? And I'll hang up and listen. All right, Frank, I think that's relatively easy. We're going to kind of – you want me to get to that? All right. With Drew Breeze, 
I, I agree with you. I think we wind up seeing it go two series if they don't score on that first drive, if the offense just isn't clicking, if they, especially if they go three and out. I feel like if you get points on the board on that first drive, I feel like Sean Payton will just talk with Drew Brees and Drew will be like, you know what, we'll go ahead and go out one more drive and get things done. But I think two series is the absolute max. And score prediction, I got to go with the Saints winning Again, this is a relatively meaningless preseason game. It's all about what we see from Drew Brees. But with the Saints, I'm going to go with a final score 24-21 to 21 because I believe the spread last I checked was three points, and I don't mind saying that the Saints cover that and they win. And I, I have no idea what the over-under is, to be quite honest with you, but I'll stick with the three-point spread. This is a general marker. And I feel like that the offense will get things done once you get to the second team an eventual third team, eh, like it is what it is. But going back to what's going on with the Louisiana Raging Cages, do they have a chance to beat Mississippi State next week? Quick preview for those who haven't necessarily paid attention to the Bulldogs, especially over the last 24 to 48 hours, because a lot of things have gone on. And just think of, just go back a few years to 2014. I was just starting working here at the station, and Mississippi State was on the rise. They were on another level. They were phenomenal. Dak Prescott, an absolute stud. And that was followed up by a really great career from Nick Fitzgerald. It felt like the program was starting to really make themselves a name. Instead of being, you know, Mississippi State, not the sexiest job in the world. Starkville, not exactly the best place in the world. But now, because the college football in Starkville is relevant. And now second year with Joe Moorhead, it felt like, you know, they continued the tradition to get the guy that's been in the system for a while, been with the university for quite some time, and that is Louisiana native Keaton Thompson heading into his junior season. He was being named the starting quarterback. It was going to be his job to lose. We talked about it on end here on Acadiana Sports Station. He saw it a small sample size whenever Fitzgerald wasn't playing. I know he was suspended for the first game of last year. And you have him, and left Joe Moorhead with a decision. Either go with a comfortable pick in, Fitz, in Thompson, excuse me, or you go with what he knows with Tommy Stevens, a former Penn State quarterback. Shout out to resident Nittany Lion, noted Penn State fan, our guy Joe M. We are. I think he'd love that. And he winds up going with Tommy Stevens. Tommy Stevens. A decent quarterback, again, it's a lot like what we've seen with Thompson. Not a whole lot of film on him. A small sample size. Guy I don't think ever threw a pass for the Nittany Lions. He was behind Trace McSorley in the post-Trace McSorley era while I'm causing him to transfer and join a guy like Moorhead who he knows the, he knows the system. He knows what's going on. And my issue is, is the fact he hasn't started a single game and there's no real like film on him. I think the Cajuns can exploit exploit a quarterback that on the surface is a one-dimensional quarterback because it's not like what we've seen with teams in the past that the Cajuns have played, like a Coastal Carolina, like a Georgia Southern, where they play a triple option. They get their behind handed to them. Go, go look back at the film of Georgia Southern games and Coastal Carolina, especially Coastal Carolina last year. They got trounced in that one at home. It gives a team that felt like they were – going to wind up being one of the cellar dwellers in Coastal Carolina heading into the season, but the Chanticleers proved a lot. And I feel like the Cajuns' defense will be able to exploit that if we see a Tommy Stevens like we saw at Penn State, the very small sample size that we saw from him last year. Of course, that being said, there's a lot of things we can talk about as well 
On the defensive side of the football, it's still solid because, of course, it is going to be a SEC defense. You've got a notable starter returning in Leo Lewis. But outside of that, you ain't got Jack. And I'll tell you why. Because Jeffrey Simmons, Montez Sweat, two of your biggest defensive players, they went to the NFL. Both those guys are gone. And the fact that there's a black cloud around the program with the NCAA slapping them with some major sanctions, 2019 doesn't feel like a great year for Mississippi State. At least from my perspective. I could be completely wrong. I think it wound up being around the same level they were last year. Looking at the Raging Cajuns, it feels like Levi Lewis has improved by leaps and bounds. This is all we've been hearing for months from, obviously, head coach Billy Napier. Well, he's bigger. Um, he's stronger. You know, he's added a good quality weight there. Um, I think that he's cleaned up his game relative to the po- pocket presence, drops, footwork. Um, he's just playing much faster. And that's great. I want to hear a lot about Levi Lewis being better and actually having his arm improve. He is, again, Levi Lewis, what we saw last year from him, he didn't start, but he was a guy who popped in literally every four series. He was that every four series quarterback. I think we'll see that happen a lot less this year. We'll see him be the starter and play every single down as opposed to you put in, you know, let's say, Javi Magale as a guy every four series so he can get some experience. Again, I don't have Billy Napier's playbook. I don't have his walkthrough with me. But I just feel like that's what we're going to get because of how he's talked about Levi Lewis in depth. But the biggest concern for me heading into next week is the center position. I don't know why I become so obsessive over the position of center and how important they are, but they are really important to me because I've just always noticed that that's something that tells the tale of a season for any team in recent memory. Look at what happened with the Seattle Seahawks after they got rid of Max Hunger. That offensive line has become a sieve. Look at what happened after you see how kind of the early Hudspeth there happened and they lost their star center. That team wound up kind of having to struggle a little bit. It's all about continuity at that position to be able to have that relationship with all those other guys on the line. And I'm not saying Shane Vallow is not a bad player. I feel like he, he's going to do well. But he's going to have to prove himself a lot because, one, the bright lights are going to be on in the Superdome. And, number two, you're playing against a high-quality SEC defense. He's going to have to really learn a lot of things. But that brings me to the big question that I've talked about. Do the Cajuns have a remote shot of beating the Bulldogs and get their first win over an SEC opponent? The fan in me, and yes, the young fan in me that saw them win back in 1996 against Texas A&M at Cajun Field, I want to absolutely say yes. But the 30-year-old me who has seen the Cajuns come close in recent years and never finish a job, i.e. the Florida game, I got to say no. I want to say yes so bad, but of course, the only way I could say yes is if we see Lewis play like a censored-for-radio beast and shows off his arm because they all know all they know him for is his legs. If he can wind up throwing for about 250 yards and a couple touchdowns and keep the defense on their toes, he could get some really big things done. I'm intrigued by this matchup, and I'm I can't wait for next Saturday to get here. We're gonna take a quick commercial break, be back with a whole lot more. Steve Lassen, Athlon Sports, talking all things college football. Next. The famous CD is a five-tool player of sports talk. He can talk about a lot of different things, even some soccer. Fuel Manchester United, suppose. Sing the Manchester United song. 
Okay, maybe not soccer. Back to Under the Dome on 1037 The Game. Welcome back to Under the Dome with the CD. And, of course, I'll talk a little bit of soccer real quick because I'm a little disappointed. In the 73rd minute, Crystal Palace are beating up on Man United who started off the season in a flurry early on with a dominant 4-0 win over Chelsea. Definitely not exactly looking the best against Crystal Palace after Jordan AU goal in the 32nd minute. But, of course, we're in the 73rd towards the end of their Saturday morning matchup, which I was able to kind of catch it in here. That's just that's just my opinion, but sometimes like, it's pretty hard for me to multitask anyways. But anyways, we'll, we'll kind of flip it over to the world of college football, from football to college football. And that is, we're going to move over to the Ardco Equipment Hotline to get to our guy Steve Lassen of Athlon Sports Week Zero. College football is back. How you feeling? Hey, Clint. It is great to talk to you, especially now that we can say game day is here the off season is over. I'm looking forward to tonight. I'm looking forward to seeing what this season has in store. So uh, the off season's over. Let's get this season started. The off season is finally over. We can talk about a lot of things, including Week Zero. We'll get to that in a little bit. But want to stick to one game in particular that's going to be happening next week, a little bit around this time with the Cajuns Mississippi State 11 o'clock kickoff, and we want to see earlier this week Joe Moorhead announcing that Tommy Stevens is getting the starting job. Were you surprised to see that, or did it feel like it was going to be inevitability because of, again, Joe Moret's ties to Penn State and obviously Stevens being a former Penn State quarterback behind uh, Trace McSorley? Yeah, I think Tommy Stevens, you know, when he transferred to Mississippi State, it really just seemed like a, not necessarily a foregone conclusion that he would be the starter, but you felt like he had to be the favorite. The fact that Joe Moorhead went out and got Tommy Stevens to, to start over Keaton Thompson, a guy that had been in the program for the last couple of years, and, and Keaton Thompson played pretty well um, as the backup to Nick Fitzgerald. But I think it's just a case of Tommy Stevens, uh, the fact that he was at Penn State when Joe Moorhead was there, very experienced in this offense. I think the big key for Mississippi State is Nick Fitzgerald was good as a runner, very dynamic with the ball in his hands, but the passing game for Mississippi State was just not clicking last year. And I think that's what Tommy Stevens and Joe Moorhead uh, is hoping that he brings to the table, hoping that he brings a shot in the arm for the passing game. And, and based upon his limited time, he's probably the best passer uh, of the quarterbacks there between Thompson and Stevens. The sample size is pretty limited, but I think that's why you're seeing him, the familiarity and just his ability to push the ball downfield. And again, you know, we talk about what's going on with Tommy Stevens and Keaton Thompson. He's going to wind up transferring. The first report came from 247 Sports. What's your instant reaction, and where do you think he winds up going, if anywhere? Because, of course, this is very, very late in the game to do this. But where do you think he winds up going, be it during this semester or heading into 2020? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, what we've seen out of Keaton Thompson, he can be – a power five starting quarterback or just an effective high level group of five quarterback. I mean, I would think programs um, like Louisiana Tech, maybe even uh, Louisiana, 
would be too based upon his history in high school and just kind of based upon opportunities down the road. You know, going into the season, I thought Keaton Thompson could be a top 50 to 60 quarterback in college football. His completion percentage in limited time certainly needs to get better. But as far as someone who can move around in the pocket and make plays, he led Mississippi State to a bowl victory two years ago. Um, He's got talent, and he just needs time to develop as the starter. And kind of like what we said with Tommy Stevens, Tommy Stevens, I think, is the better passer of the two. So I think that's that's why Keaton Thompson isn't starting at Mississippi State. But if you give him another offseason or two to develop, um, I think long-term he can be a very effective quarterback. So I suspect that he will end up at a FBS school, and I think we could see him starting somewhere in, in 2020 just because of his talent level. Talking right now with Steve Lassen of Athlon Sports, and of course like just considering what's happened with Mississippi State, considering the fact that their defense, you don't have a whole heck of a lot of starters from last year. Obviously, Simmons, Sweat going to the NFL, Big player, obviously, on the defensive side of the football is Leo Lewis. But just looking at that matchup week one, what kind of percent chance? It seems like it's a very much a long shot, but what's your percent chance that the Cajuns can pull off that huge week one upset and get their first win over an SEC opponent? Yeah, you know, you said it best there. Mississippi State has some big-time losses on defense. They only bring back three starters on that side of the ball. Their frontline talent, especially at linebacker, is still very good. They have one of the SEC's best linebacking cores. They have one of the SEC's better cornerbacks, too, in Cameron Dantzler. So this is a group that, even though they have a lot of turnover, is still probably one of the SEC's better defenses. Can they match last year's total where they only allowed 13 points a game? Probably not. But they're still very good. I think when you look at this matchup for Louisiana's perspective, can they get the running game going? That's where the, that's the strength of this team with an experienced offensive line, one of the deepest backfields at the Group of Five level, and in college football. Can they be able to get uh, some movement against a, a very fast, very athletic Mississippi State defense? And, and of course, too, quarterback. You know, Levi Lewis. Can he get settled in and make some plays early on? I think on the flip side, Mississippi State's offense is a bit of a mystery. We've talked about Tommy Stevens, but I think the key to this game is Kylan Hill for Mississippi State. He was so explosive at the start of last season, but when injury started to take a toll, uh, the second half of the season was not as productive. So stopping the run is going to be key uh, for Louisiana. I like Mississippi State to win this game, uh, but do think if Louisiana can get the ground game going, they can keep it interesting. Talk right now with Steve Lassen of Athlon Sports. And, of course, Week Zero is about to get underway. The first game is going to be at 7 o'clock. Miami taking on Florida. We talked about it, how great it is to have one of these Week Zero games. And, of course, we, we've all seen the video. Michael Irvin getting amazingly hype about college football in general, talking about stomping out Florida Gators in, in their throat. It's, it's taking their heart out. It's amazing just to see the video of that late last night. But Miami, Florida tonight, what, where do you think that winds up going? Can Florida really just dominate this matchup, or will Miami try and show that they are back? You know, I think we're in for a very low-scoring defensive game. But both of these defenses are some of the best in, in college football. Miami's defensive line 
and linebacker unit among the top in college football. The same thing for Florida. Florida's had some attrition in the secondary, but still their front-line talent in the secondary, their defensive line, it's still one of the best in the SEC. So I think this, both of these teams come into this game with the clear strength being on defense. The biggest question marks for both teams in similar fashion is the offensive line. Miami starting two freshmen at the tackle positions. Florida has four new starters along the offensive line. So it's going to come down to whichever team can find the right mix early on up front. But I also think in a game like this where two good defenses are going at it, there are question marks up front, I think you have to give an edge to someone like Dan Mullen who can just find a way to scheme 20 to 24 points. Florida has a big edge at quarterback with Felipe Franks. Miami is starting Jaron Williams. This is his first start for Miami. He didn't play a whole lot last year. A lot of upside, but this is a tough defense to go against in your first start. So I think it's a, it's a game that's going to come down to very timely offense, and that's why I think you have to give an edge to Felipe Franks and Dan Mullen in Florida in what's probably a lower-scoring game. Talk right now with Steve Lassen of Athlon Sports and flipping it over to the nightcap, which I'm honestly I'm just always excited for when it comes to Pac-12 after dark, even though this is almost Pac-12 after dark light with Arizona taking on the Hawaii Rainbow Warriors. And this one feels it's definitely going to be very lopsided in favor of Arizona. I think I saw the early lines leaning towards 11-point favorites for the Wildcats up against Hawaii. What do you think about this matchup? Can we see some wild stuff in Pac-12 After Dark's kind of debut? Absolutely. Pac-12 After Dark in Hawaii. This one has a chance to be pretty wild. I mean, the first game is probably going to be a lower-scoring game. I think this one could be higher scoring. I mean, I think the over-under is somewhere in the 70s at this point. It wouldn't shock me if both teams get to 35, 38 points. For Arizona, they had a disappointing debut under Kevin Sumlin last year, but part of that was Khalil Tate got hurt early on, was never 100%. He's back to 100% this season. He is so dynamic with the ball in his hands, continues to get better as a passer, and he's going up against a Hawaii defense that really struggled last year. So I think he gets the season started off in big-time fashion, but I also think Hawaii is going to land their share of punches too. I mean, this run-and-shoot offense that they went back to last season, they are capable of putting up 30, 35 points in a hurry. So I think Hawaii scores, but I think Arizona just too much. Khalil Tate uh, on offense ends up pulling away in the second half for Arizona. A couple more questions here, Steve. First off, it's getting closer to the start of Kansas's first year with Les Miles. What are your expectations for him to kind of get things done year one? You know, I think for year one, a good first season for Les Miles would just be three or four victories. Kansas just has so many roster questions, and, and they're still trying to get to 85 scholarships. I mean, uh, you know, under the previous coaching staff, uh, they never really got there due to attrition and, and all that. They just need to recruit, add talent, and continue to build to, to next season in, in 2021. They've got, the biggest question mark for Kansas, they've got to find a quarterback. You know, they really have struggled to find a quarterback since Todd Reesing left Kansas, and that's been a long time. And I think that's, where, that's what Les Miles has to do this year, set the foundation, 
recruit for for this offseason and build to something next season. So I think getting to three or four victories would be a good first year for Kansas. It's just too many questions to get to a bowl game. But I certainly think Kansas is going to be fun and interesting because Les Miles is there this year. Got about 90 seconds left in this segment, Steve. And I think we got to ask the burning question that everybody's been talking about, and that is the battle of chicken sandwiches. Popeyes or Chick-fil-A? You know, it's funny. I have not been to a Popeye's in forever, and I was trying to figure out this week what's going on. And, and I finally I asked somebody, and then they, they told me about this chicken sandwich. But I, I have to admit, I, I'm a big fan of Chick-fil-A. But after seeing the Popeye's uh, pictures and the lines this week, I want to go try one. So put me down in the Chick-fil-A camp right now, but I'll have to let you know after I have a Popeye sandwich, hopefully here in the next uh, couple weeks. Well, hey, I mean, like I said, week one of college football. We're going to talk to you next week, so hopefully you've had the Popeye's chicken sandwich in your life. Hell, I say right after we get done talking, you better be in line to go get some Popeye's chicken sandwiches at least today because I guarantee you tomorrow that thing is going to be absolutely packed because, after all, you brought up Chick-fil-A. They're closed tomorrow. Ah, that's right. Hey, and, you know, today would be a perfect day with the season starting. Yes. Get the, get the chicken sandwich, hit the couch, and be ready for Florida and Miami tonight. All right, Steve, thanks so much for coming on, my man. We'll talk to you next week because college football, it is back, baby. Hey, Clint, that sounds great. I look forward to it. Thanks for having me on, as always. All right, man, I appreciate you for coming on. That was Steve Lassen, Athlon Sports. You can follow him on Twitter, at Athlon Steven. And, hey, we're talking about college football. Hey, fantasy football, it's still going on. It's still a thing. We're doing some drafts next week. It is B2BS's league next Wednesday. And trust me, that one's full. The only one that's not full is the Jordy Holtberg League. This is the league you want to get in on because it is not this coming Wednesday, but the Wednesday after, right before the NFL season officially gets kickstarted. You don't have to worry about preseason storylines, injuries that could wind up happening because, mind you, we've had to deal with that in terms of our league, the Under the Dome League. But hey, if you want to get in on an awesome league, this is a perfect opportunity to do so. So make sure you get your shots up. You can call us up. On the Arco Equipment Hotline, let me know. Send us some info, and we'll get you in there like swimwear. Or more importantly, you can hit us up on our social medias like Twitter, at 1037thegame. Our DMs are open. And also on Facebook, you can inbox us. I know this is definitely a big Facebook community. So make sure you get your shots up before the start of the 2019 NFL season. Get into this fantasy league. You won't regret it. We'll be back with more after this on Acadiana Sports Station, 1037 The Game and 1037thegame.com. The grind of baseball season is a long one, and the famous CD isn't afraid of rounding the bases on a Saturday morning. Time to play ball and touch them all right here on 1037 The Game. I think we got to start off looking at the Atlanta Braves and the New York Mets. Definitely a fun matchup to say the least, but the biggest storyline had to come out of what happened with Ronald Acuna, the second youngest member of the 30-30 club after he got his 30th steal. He actually has, I think, 34 home runs on the year. So congrats to him. Ronald Acuna at 21 years old continues to be an absolute beast and a big reason why the Braves have become more successful now Maybe they were in the last five years. But it was a long night for the Braves and the Mets. 14 innings, but the Bravos got it done thanks to this RBI single from Billy Hamilton in the 14th. And the pitch to Hamilton. Swung on, hit to the right side, and through base hit. Flowers will score. 
Rounding third is Echevarria. He'll be held there. And Billy Hamilton comes through with an RBI single, and the Braves' dugout erupts, and Atlanta does finally take the lead 2-1. to one. Meanwhile, you look at the Boston Red Sox. They're pretty much out of the postseason contention at this point, unless you have a major collapse from one of the two wildcard teams. Get to that in just a little bit. But they took on the San Diego Padres. I think the Padres might be praying to the guy upstairs because they needed some help. Didn't get it, though. 11-0 loss. Thanks to this. J.D. Martinez, he had a second home run. And this one was an absolute monster. They have started that off perfectly here tonight. The pitch is hit high and deep to left field. Back on it at the wall. Gone! J.D. Martinez hits his second three-run homer of the night, and it's 11-0 Red Sox. Just had a fantastic performance from the Red Sox. Again, you look at the AL wildcard race, they're six and a half games back of the Tampa Rays, who are currently in control of the wildcard race. And, of course, Oakland and Cleveland also tied in that wildcard battle. But I think the biggest play of the day goes to the Detroit Tigers, who definitely been looking a little bit better. That is from Ronnie Rodriguez, an unlikely name to say the least, with a three with a grand salami to get them out in front and they never look back. Barrios gets a sign from Castro setting up away breaking ball high fly ball left field hooking deep and gone a run how about it a hanging breaking ball and Ronnie Rodriguez hits a grand slam just inside the foul pole down the left field line. And then we got to hop it on over to what's going on with the Miami Marlins, a team that's just been absolutely god-awful. But they beat the Phillies like a drum last night, and also thanks to Starling Castro, two-run Jack. I think this was his second two-run home run of the night. Pitch to Castro is blasted a long way. Deep left center. Dickerson back at the wall. He did it again for the second time tonight. Starlin Castro, a two-run homer, and the Marlins have scored 18 runs, a new season high. At one point, they trailed this game 7-0. It's now 18-9 in the eighth. All right, one more before we got to get out of here to end up our number one. Didi Gregorius with a phenomenal grand salami to really bring home the fact that the New York Yankees beat down the Doyers. It would look to be a World Series preview, according to some people. Hell, I mean, the crowd that was there in terms of the media contingency was in full effect. Lefty to lefty pitch. Swung on, and there it goes. Deep right, it is high. It is far. It is gone. It's a grand slam. D.D. Gregorius grand slams into the right field seats. Yes, indeedy. And that was just about all she wrote for that one. But, of course, we got to kind of flip things over, give you an idea of what's going on in terms of the AL and NL wild card races. Again, right now, Tampa Bay Rays, Oakland A's, and Cleveland are in that spot. Oakland and Cleveland are currently knotted up for that second wild card spot. You look at the National League, things are starting to work out a little bit better. They're starting to even things out because when I talked to you a couple weeks ago, it was definitely a cluster, believe. Now, the AL is, look at what's going on with St. Louis. They're 
in the catbird seat from that perspective, then the Chicago Cubs are right behind them. Meanwhile, the New York Mets currently two games back, definitely a fringe playoff team. They can wind up getting things done if they can keep the performances up. Noah Syndergaard looked phenomenal the other night on Thursday. Also looked phenomenal on social media. Five-star tweet from him. But, of course, it's about all we got for our number one. Our number two of two is coming up in just a little bit, and we're going to have a whole lot of fun talking LSU football, some Astros, some Saints with with James Yasko, some Astros County talk, and also our guy at Ross Jackson at 11.30 to preview the Saints and the Jets, and more importantly, who's going to wind up making the 53-man roster because we won't talk to him next week with college football in full effect. But trust me, this is going to be a fun one. So keep it locked right here on 103.7 The Game. This should be played at high volume, preferably in a residential area. Live and local from the 237 Roof Studios in Upper Lafayette, this is Acadiana's number one sports station, 1037 The Game. Streaming live on 1037thegame.com and on the free 1037 The Game mobile app. It's Saturday. It's time! It's time! Time to take a walk on the wild side and get your Saturday started with an inside look under the dome with the world-famous CD. Do you know who I am? I don't know how to put this, but I'm kind of a big deal. On 103.7 The Game. And welcome back to our number two of two of Under the Dome with CD right here on Acadiana's number one sports station, 103.7 The Game and 1037thegame.com. That two-minute drill didn't give you the latest goings-on in the world of soccer. And that's what I'm here for because, well, I'm probably the one person here who still watches a little bit EPL from time to time, especially with my Manchester United. The Red Devils lost to the Crystal Palace 2-1. That went final during the break. Very, very disappointed to see that. Score to say the least, and I believe during that Steve Last interview, I got a little hyped up. I got a little hyped up because I wound up looking at Twitter. Somebody brought up the fact that there were two goals in the 88th minute. And I'm like, oh, the man, you like rally back from down one nothing, one nil, and then they wound up still losing two to one. Thank you very much, man, you for losing. Still in the top five though, so I'm not necessarily as upset, but I want them to win. I'm still competing, but not exactly a great start. I believe they, I believe it was a draw. Their second game on Monday, yeah, it was a one to one tie, and then of course you had the four nil win over Chelsea. It definitely doesn't hurt their goal differential because only you're only gonna have like a. I believe uh, a minus, you have a plus one now in terms of today's game. But of course, I think that's really not what everybody's really going to pay attention to. It's those wins, losses, and draws. Now they're one, one, and one. To start the season, not exactly where you want to be. But of course, there's other teams going on in the EPL right now. We're going to try and see how quickly we can get through this. Notable matchups. Chelsea gets the win over Norwich City, the new head man over there. Started to turn things around a little bit. And then you got Southampton getting a 2-0 win. West Ham wrapping up earlier today as well with a 3-1 win over Watford. Leicester City, a true underdog story, if you will, with a 2-1 win over Chef United. And coming up a little bit later today, I'm intrigued by this one. Liverpool and Arsenal, probably the match of the day. Bournemouth and Man City early tomorrow, but 
sign me up for Tottenham Newcastle Hotspurs. Definitely team I'm interested to see what they do up against a Newcastle program. But of course, the Arco Equipment Highline is open. You can kind of change the conversation. 337-706-0111. Of course, you can answer the big question of the day, and that is about if the Cajuns have even a remote chance in your mind of beating Mississippi State next Saturday. Or maybe you want to talk about the Saints preseason game number three. Maybe you want to talk about the LSU Tigers. What's the biggest sticking point for you? What have you been most frustrated about about the LSU Tigers heading into the season? What's the one big thing that you're kind of not exactly happiest about when it comes to the LSU Tigers? For me, it's got to be the offensive line. I feel like everybody's going to go that way. The offensive line is going to take you as far as possible. Because what's been the biggest strength for LSU for the last like several years, I'd probably say the last 20 years, has been the running back performances as of late. That's been the big thing for me is LSU's pass, passing game hasn't been phenomenal, has never been like streets ahead, hasn't been the best in the world. This the offense has every chance in the world to be the best offense in the SEC, largely because of the fact that I feel like Joe Burrow and Joe Brady can turn things around. And we got a couple people on the Arco Equipment Hotline who want to get in on the action. So let's get to it right now. If you want to talk LSU, Cajun, Saints, whatever is on your mind, we'll get to it right now. What's going on, man? Good morning. And what's your name, my man? Hey, look, man. Let's, uh, can we talk a little bit about the Cajun Mississippi State game? Yeah, let's let's fire it up. What's your name, man? But you know, the fact that the Cajuns have such a good offensive line that they're strong through in their running back, and Mississippi State lost Montana Sweat, and they lost another guy, and they were very in the last year, and they're going to be putting their quarterback out there for the first time. I don't understand how that's a three-touchdown spread. I understand Las Vegas is trying to get money up on each side, but I do not see this, I do not see this being a three-touchdown game because I think that the Cajuns will be able to run the ball on them, and, you know, uh, you even want to talk about the Mississippi State head coach. Uh, when he when he got hired and Napier got hired the same year, I was thinking at that time Napier was a better hire than the Mississippi State coach was because he was offensive coordinator just, uh, just like Napier was, but he he wasn't coached by uh, uh, by Saban and uh, Dabble Tooney either. What you think about all that? I'm inter- Like I said, again, I talked about it in the second segment of the show, the fact that the – Mississippi State, they lost a lot of key players. They brought up Montez Sweat, and I'm uh, I, I'm trying to remember the dude's name now. One of the other off, one of the other defensive linemen. But I think the biggest thing for the Cajuns is can they stop the passing game? Because I feel like we don't know what we can make out of their quarterback, their starting quarterback, which he just recently announced, Tommy Stevens. Because again, he had a relatively small sample size. What can he do to get things done this time next Saturday? And can he disrupt that defense? that feels like they've just got to wind up having that secondary step their game up. Michael Jaquette, I know last I checked, he was in a walking boot last Sunday at Fan Day. He, he will probably be back, but you got to imagine that could wind up being something that nags on over the next couple weeks. Well, I don't know about Jaquette might not be playing, but he needs to play for them to have a chance to win. But I just think that Mississippi, uh, and Coach Mississippi State last year, he came in, with, that was ball of speed. And that team was expected to do a lot more than in last year. So I, I, you have to really just look at Mississippi State. They weren't disappointed last year. I know their fan base. That, and I 
Cardinals don't know about their coach. I mean, I really want to point to him and his coaching staff. I do not think they're that, that good. And I think the, the Cajuns' coaching staff is better than their coaching staff. I think that's why we definitely got a plus on. And I think because of that first game of the year, uh, the Cajuns could have very well surprised me. You have a good day, buddy. Oh, you too, man. You take care. And that was just a great take in general. I like that. I like, I like the positivity here because, again, I'm more of a realist. I want this to happen. Again, as somebody who – was there as a little kid seeing 1996 Cajun Texas A&M at Cajun Field. I want this to happen. Will it happen? Yeah. I just want to say I want to say yes so bad, but I know the realist in me, and that's what I try and be here on the show and on 1037 game in general. I try and be a realist. I'll tell you when it's bad, I'll tell you when it's good. That's my bottom line here. I'll tell you. Stuff is really good going on with the Cajuns. But is it good enough to pull off an upset of all upsets? Get that signature win that HUD was never able to do. We got another one of the Arco Equipment Hotline, so let's get to it right now. What's going on, man? Okay, Mr. Dalton. That was weird. Maybe he just waited a little bit too long. Maybe he'll wait a little too long, you know? But now we got somebody else on the Arco Equipment Hotline. It is lighting up. It hasn't lit up like this in months since Under the Dome has kind of taken over your Saturday mornings. So we see if we can keep this going. Maybe it's the fact it's college football season. Let's see who's on the Arco Equipment Hotline right now. What's going on, man? Hey, CD, what's up, my man? Hey, T, what is up, my good brother? Uh, man, I've just been fighting a little bit of health problems. So, uh, Hope you're feeling better, bro. Lately, but I'm feeling uh, a lot better, a lot better. Uh, I'm going to ask this question for three years in a row. Uh, what will it take to get rid of Tommy Moffitt at LSU, man? Every year, it's injuries after injuries. Uh, God forbid a fatality happens uh, to get rid of him, but what, what is your thought on that? My goodness, here's the thing. Here's the thing, T. Like, sometimes it's just like it's a lot like what we talk about with LSU baseball. These injuries, they'll happen. I feel like, you know, when you think about what's going on in training camp, training camp injuries are common. It's a, it's a commonplace as you or I getting a paper cut on a, to, on a day-to-day basis, T. I feel like we just see this happen so many times, but I'll say this, T. And this is just where I'm going to go with this. With Tommy Moffitt and the way Coach O runs things, we're seeing them take a more precautionary approach, and we see them take these guys off the field for a longer time during training camp. That way, whenever – because guess what? You know, you don't want these guys to be hurt even more so if they're masking an injury. If they have a slight injury, you don't want to exacerbate that down the line. I think that's the smartest thing they can do. And I think Tommy Moffitt is possibly one of the better – strength and conditioning coaches it just sometimes these things happen in the case of cardell i mean the only player that's going to miss significant time is cardell thomas and i'll likely miss the entire year everybody else will be intact for week one it's just sometimes these injuries you don't want to exacerbate them then they're out for a long period of time so i'm not necessarily as worried about injuries with lsu now as it was maybe towards the tail end of the last miles era where he wasn't giving us any information and sometimes if he gave us information you weren't sold on it yeah, I agree with you on that. Okay, CD, have a good day, man. Love your show. Keep it all right, up. All right, T, take it easy, my man. Get well. That way we can hear from you a lot more because it is football season, baby. But like I said, I'm amazed right now. That was my third call. And, again, this is something I just want to ask all y'all here on 103.7 The Game. And it's just because I don't know what it was. Maybe it was the fact we weren't talking as much college football because we were just kind of in that doldrums of summer. We were in the middle of – talking college baseball, we're talking MLB, trade deadline, training camp with the Saints. Not as much college football here on the show, but again, 
That's because sometimes you just you can only talk about the same thing so many times without it becoming repetitive. I could have probably told you the last like five, six weeks and spent the last five, six weeks telling you about where I think the Raging Cajuns are going to go. What's going to happen with that season opener against Mississippi State? I'm not here to keep just pumping the same exact thing to you every single week and regurgitating it. This is a weekly show. Imagine if it was a daily show and I just spent every single show doing that. I I hear enough on, and this is me kind of throwing some sort of shade at CBS Sports Radio, which we're an affiliate, but you listen to it. Listen, For instance, last Saturday I was listening to The Grush Show, and I usually just listen to that on my way back home from here because I take care of a lot of other different things inside the Delta Media Studios outside of the 237 Roof Studios. But, of course, I hear so much of the same topic being talked about from segment one, segment two, segment three. It just carries on because it wants to be a a call farmer's show. I'm just not that kind of guy. I want to get calls in the program because I try and leave plenty of space open for y'all. I think once football season gets started, I might have a little bit of a looser schedule and a looser format is I want y'all to jump in on it. But trust me, I guarantee you, I'll be trying to get as many guests as possible throughout football season to make sure you get all your latest info. Because, of course, we got high school football coming up in a couple weeks. I'll be bringing back the scoreboard to open up the show, give you an idea of what's on tap. We'll, we'll still do a lot of the great things that we've done here in the past, but I want your calls. And, you know, that's my biggest thing. I want your calls. I'm not going to fetch for them. I'm not going to farm for them. But I was just wondering. It's like, it's weird. Because as a person who hosts and produces the show, it's hard for me to kind of like, Screen calls. I guarantee you nobody wants to hear me turn my mic off, go to the phone, and say, hey, who is this? And just go back and we could wind up being off air, and that winds up turning off listeners. That's my biggest thing. But, of course, you know, you want to call us up, our co-equipment hotline, whenever I tell you, tell you it's open, get your shots up. That's all I got to say on that. Going to take a quick commercial break. We'll come back with a whole lot more because, of course, we're talking with James Yasko, AstrosCounty.com, Lima Time Time. We'll talk about that and a whole lot more next on Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game. Every time CD takes the mic is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. Now let's get back to Under the Dome with CD on Acadiana Sports Station, 1037 The Game. We hear that H-Town music, you know we're going over to H-Town to talk with our guy, James Yasko. He's aboard the Arco Equipment Hotline. Welcome back to Under the Dome, by the way, right here on 1037 The Game, live as always from the 237 Roof Studios. Hey, guess what? We got a lot of things to talk about with the Astros, a lot of injuries, but of course a lot of other positives to talk about. We're going to go over to the Arco Equipment Hotline right now. James Yasko, AstrosCounty.com. And the Lima Time Time podcast. What's going on, man? Hey, how y'all doing? I'm doing fantastic. First things first, before we get to actual stuff that happened on the field, I want to get your thoughts. What do you think about the players' weekend jerseys? Are they an absolute abomination like everybody else is saying they are? I mean, let's give MLB credit for for doing something different. I mean, there's that one episode of Friends where Joey is like the perfume guy. And he's the cowboy dressed in all white, and there's the other dude that's dressed in all black, and it looks a little bit too much like that. But I'm not going to bust on 
on MLB doing something different. I mean, it's that's sort of what we what we want to see every now and then, huh? I mean, they they struck out on this one, I think. Um, but hey, give them give them a little bit of credit where it's maybe should supposed to be due. All right, now we're going to get to what's causing all this. I think obviously we got to go back earlier this week with the. It feels like right now the Astros they're the best team in baseball, as long as you don't put them up by like 500 according to the sport books because it just has been amazing to see how snake bit they've been because you look back i believe a couple weeks ago when they played the orioles after that 22 to like one just absolute i believe you called it attempted murder when that happened yeah no they they actually committed a crime against the <laughs> against the baltimore orioles and i expect the orioles to be pressing charges here any day well i think they did press charges that's why they wound up beating them whenever they were 500 point favorites in some sports books and then it happened again the other night after a phenomenal Justin Verlander performance. And this is something I asked like right after it happened was, who do you blame more? Is it more Justin Verlander allowing these big plays to happen? Or do you blame Robinson Chirinos for trying to leg out a triple? You blame you blame Altuve and Chirinos. This is a lineup where, where I mean, they were trying to go, they're trying to take third base. They got thrown out at third base in two consecutive in the, in the eighth and the ninth to end the game. You you don't. This isn't 2013. Like you don't have to. If you're on second, that's as good as on third. When you've got guys like Alvarez and Gurriel, Bregman coming up behind you. If you're Chirinos, you know the the lineup's about to turn over. Like it was for Chirinos, he just wanted the cycle, uh, and and that's why he was trying to get to third. And it ended up costing you know potentially costing the Astros the game. So you blame stupid base running mistakes. For literally no good reason. Talk right now with James Yasko, AstrosCounty.com, Lima Time Time. And, you know, obviously, I think we also got to talk about the injury bug. It seems to be striking yet again. We see it, Carlos Correa, he's back on the IL, but I feel like it's hitting a lot more on the pitching staff now because we're seeing Aaron Sanchez, he's out. Ryan Presley going to be having surgery. Feels like he's just coming up at the wrong time, especially with the pitching staff. Yeah, the Presley thing is is irritating because, you know, he had surgery yesterday. He's going to be out four to six weeks. There's a chance he misses. You know, I mean, best case scenario, he gets back the last week of the regular season uh, and gets some innings after the Astros have wrapped up the division. Keep in mind, they're trying to win. They're trying. What they need to do is they need to get a better record than the Yankees to have home field advantage. Um, and so, but I mean, Presley's knee issues go back almost a month. And you think that if you, you know, if he wasn't feeling well, maybe you you see the team doctors and you explore the possibility of surgery, you know, a month ago, then it's it's not he's he's looking at coming back in the next couple of weeks. So it's it's unfortunate. Um, you know, press I think Presley's injury hurts more than maybe Aaron Sanchez, but but definitely not great. I mean, the time it's not the end of September and they're doing this. It's the end of August. They're still what, 32 games left in the regular season. Like, there's still time to kind of sort through it. Correa is expected to be back, um, you know, maybe first or second week of September. So not the end of the world, but it's it's certainly not ideal. And, you know, this is radio, and sometimes it's weird to do a sight gag, but, I mean, with Carlos Correa, hopefully there's no I'm a massage before he winds up returning to action because that, that could wind up being a whole other mess. You know, it's just just put the dude in in bubble wrapper and, and keep Daniela away. <laughs> All right, we're talking right now with James Yasko, AstrosCounty.com, Lima Time Time. 
And I've, I think we got to flip it over. Obviously, one of the big acquisitions at the deadline. It was absolutely amazing to see this get picked up. Zach Grinky. What are your thoughts on him? It feels like it's been a little bit up and down for him to start off his time with the Strohs. You know, I mean, you don't expect Zach Grinky to, you know, and I actually looked it up this morning. The Grinky gave up 10 hits uh, and and got one strikeout and still and still got the win. You know, that for the Astros, in Major League Baseball, that hasn't happened since like May of 2017, and it hasn't happened for an Astros pitcher since Mike Hampton in 1999. It's a really weird start. He, I, I want to, it's not a great comparison, but but Grinky is sort of the Hall of Fame version of Dallas Keuchel uh, in that he's not a high-velocity guy. He, he, he has to hit his spots. Um, if you get the timing down and you just happen to swing right, you know, you're, you can give up some hits. He's, he's not getting knocked around, but he's such a good pitcher that, that he can get out of it. Uh, I don't want to say with relative ease, but... You know, you give up ten, you give up ten hits and only two runs. Uh, you're working, you're working yourself in, but you're also working yourself out of trouble. So, you know, Grinky is not the pitcher that he was maybe you know seven or eight years ago. You know, when he, when he had the location and he was throwing mid nineties, uh, his velocities dipped a little bit, but but he's still figuring that out. And he's only been with the team for three weeks. You know, he's still processing how much information the Astros have, and he's getting on the same page with the game plan and how to attack hitters that I don't think he really had to <clears throat> deal with in Arizona. So it's, it's, a, it's a learning curve. He's still getting the results, uh, and it, he's, it, it's real fun to watch him pitch. It really is, especially I saw last night he had a just amazing slider, which is awesome to see, see his performance last night. Yeah, he's just a cerebral. You know, I mean, you have guys like Josh James that can come in and just blow you away with a 101 mile an hour fastball. Uh, that's not Grinky. So you see, sort of the cerebral side of the game and, and playing with playing with hitters and being able to throw any pitch and any count and put it basically where you want to. Uh, it's just a, a fun. You know, watching Garrett Cole and Justin Verlander strike everybody out is a lot of fun. Uh, Grinky's a little bit different. And, you know, one of the things that the Astros have, have sort of dealt with is that in the past is they have a lot of different pitchers that have the same stuff. And so over the course of a three-game series, you know, you're going to, you know, if, if you can get the timing down, it's, it's not going to be a huge departure from, from one pitcher to the next. That's not the case anymore. Uh, and I think that's what makes this rotation even more deadly uh, than, it, than it looks on paper. And James, we got about ninety seconds before I let you go. We're gonna go a little bit more lighter side here, and of course, talk about the biggest thing that's been talked about over the last week is the great chicken sandwich debate of two thousand nineteen. Which way, Lena? Your team Popeyes or team Chick Fil A? I'm gonna go get a Popeye. I haven't had Popeyes yet. I haven't had the Popeyes chicken sandwich yet. I'm gonna go this afternoon, uh, and I'm gonna see what the hype's about. And if they if they run out, then then I'm going to be the guy on the video that's like jumping through the drive-through window, like out to get my out to get my chicken sandwich. I'm leaning Popeyes though. I mean, if you don't take Popeyes in a fight, then then are you are you even from the south? <laughs> I love it. I absolutely love that. It's not like saying if you're going to take the the battle and you say the Whataburger is not good and you're from Texas, you might you might not be really from Texas, right? You're definitely not for like you have to move to Oklahoma if you say <laughs> that Whataburger is not good. All right, James, thanks so much for coming on, my man. We'll talk to you down the road. Hey, have a good one. All right, that was James Yasko, AstrosCounty.com, Lehman Time Time. You can follow him on Twitter, 
at Astros County, or you can follow his counterpart, which, mind you, I think I'm a, a guy went open mic night on us. That's Patrick McClellan, at P. McClellan. If you love a little comedy that's a little bit raunchy, he's definitely your guy. Going to go ahead and take a quick commercial break, and then we're going to be chopping it up with our guy, Ross Jackson. He's a guy we'll be having on all throughout football season. Next week we won't, but after that we will have him all throughout the regular season. We will be, we'll be back with more after this on Acadiana Sports Station, 1037 The Game, 1037thegame.com. Most sports radio shows go up to 10 on the amp, but Under the Dome with CD goes one higher. Why don't you just make 10 louder and make 10 be the top number and make that a little louder? These guys are to Now, back to the show that brings the heat on Acadiana Sports Station, 1037 The Game. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD on Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game and 1037thegame.com, live from the 237 Roof Studios. And the Saints are getting ready for their penultimate, or if you're not big in the $5 words, second-to-last preseason game of the 2019 preseason. Obviously, you're getting that much closer to it. The 53-man rosters we can talk about. You know, We're going to dive into it right now with our guy, Ross Jackson, he's aboard the Arco Equipment Hotline. What's going on, my good brother? Hey, man. Doing great, brother. How are you doing? I am doing fantastic because, one, we get college football back in our lives, and, two, that's right. we get to see Drew Brees back in action. I'm going to set the over-under right here right now at one and a half drives. How do you think this winds up going for Drew Brees? How many drives do you think he winds up playing? Man, I think that's that's – uh, that's a really good pick, actually, uh, because I feel like if he if the first drive goes well and he leads a touchdown drive, then he's done. If the first drive stalls or the first drive only yields a field goal, then maybe you see a second drive out of him. But I can't see it going more than that. I think one and a half is the perfect set. I think that's just where you need to put it at, because, again, like we, right. if that's exactly where my thought process was. I was talking that earlier with a caller who jumped in on the program was about the fact that you have to think about it from a perspective of a head coach. Do you want to wind up putting Drew Brees out there even longer against a Jets defense, which, friendly reminder, the D.C. (laughs) is none other than the most hated man in New Orleans, Greg Williams. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. You don't want to risk that. Greg Williams is, you know, they racked up five sacks last week uh and they did so with a ton of blitz packages in the preseason uh, just not a guy that you really want to put your breeze out there uh, up against with guys that are still you know finding their footing along the offensive line and things like that it's just not a lot of risk you want to really put into that because there's not much reward out of it right your isn't somebody that you need to get into rhythm before the regular season he's fine and so there's not enough pluses or enough positives that you're really going to get out of this in terms of your breezes you know, getting set for the season uh, in terms of risking him getting hurt. Now, it benefits some other guys to have him out there on the field, yes. However, uh, you know, losing Drew Brees to, you know, some ridiculous play drawn up by Greg Williams, <laughs> not not really worth it in, in any scenario. Yeah, exactly. You cannot lose Drew Brees ever. But, you know, we got to kind of talk about what's going on with this team. And last week, we didn't get a chance to talk to you because it was heading into – that Chargers game, things just didn't, didn't necessarily work out in terms of scheduling. But my question mm-hmm. to you is this. Looking back at last week's game, were you like more disappointed in Teddy Bridgewater's performance 
because it feels like this. It feels like that was definitely the big storyline heading coming out of it was Teddy Bridgewater underwhelmed in a second preseason game. Meanwhile, Taysom Hill thrived under all that pressure. Yeah, I mean, I think sure Teddy Bridgewater's performance was absolutely disappointing. I mean, it was a terrible, terrible performance. Honestly, just bad ball placement, bad decision making, uh, not really a good understanding of time in the pocket. He just really struggled throughout that game. We found out after the game that he was sick, and you know, some people have said, "Well, why didn't you take time off during practice?" But it was joint practices for those two days that he was sick, and so not really an opportunity to do that because the joint practices, as Sean Payton has said repeatedly, are to him more valuable than the actual preseason games themselves sometimes. And so you want to get in there and you want to be a part of that. And so Teddy Bridgewater came through, but you know, it came through sick and, and, and come to find out that that was the issue. But even still, if you go out on the field, you're expected to perform. And he struggled to do that. Now, did it create any concern for me around my thoughts on Teddy Bridgewater? No, because we saw what he did the first preseason game, leading that successful two minute drive, doing what he could with that opening drive with, you know, the opening drive, having very clear direction of getting a look at Alvin Kamara and, Latavius Murray in the offense, and then we saw all of the preseason last year where he excelled with with the New York Jets, who they're going to be taking on today. And so I wasn't really concerned at all with Teddy Bridgewater's performance, although it was a disappointing outing. That doesn't take away, however, from how simply impressive Taysom Hill was. Taysom Hill looked really fantastic during that game, not just as a running quarterback or somebody that can buy you some time in the pocket or that can make plays with his feet. He made some great plays with his arm. You know, he, most of his most of his reads and progressions are half field progressions, and even still, he did that well. You saw him sort of read from target to target, even though it was only half the field for the most part. Uh, you saw a lot of really positive things out of Taysom Hill that you can't take away from. But you know, Teddy Bridgewater's performance doesn't really scare me at all in terms of my confidence in Teddy. But uh, you know, again, you can't take away from what Taysom Hill did and looked like during that game. Talking right now with Ross Jackson, host of the Locked on Saints podcast and also writes for All Saints Considered. And we're going to stick with the offense just for a little bit longer here because uh, the flip cards just came out. Credit to Amy Just for throwing this out there for the Saints-Jets matchup. And for the starting center spot, you've still got Nick Easton slash Eric McCoy, obviously the rookie out of Texas A&M. And it feels like based off of what we've heard from Sean Payton, he has not secured that starting center position yet. Are we starting to get concerned about him trying to get things done and be able to secure that spot? Because it feels like to me, if you put if you spent the second round pick on him, you should be your starter week one. Yeah, I'm I'm not really concerned about Eric McCoy at all because Eric McCoy has performed well. There was the miscommunication last week with Teddy Bridgewater with the snap that came earlier. You know, he he it, didn't, it was a miscommunication of the snap count, and so he snapped it earlier than Teddy Bridgewater was anticipated. A lot of uh, a lot of people have sort of drawn that and then drawn a line from that to the mishandled snaps during many camps and OTAs and things like that. But those are really two separate issues. We're talking about under center and then the mechanics of hand, you know uh, the mechanics of an under center snap versus the simple miscommunication of a snap count. So I think that that is a little bit less of a concern than people have, have made it out to be uh, occasionally since this last week. But the thing about the Eric McCoy center battle is that Sean Payton's just really taking his time to sort of make this decision. And, and, and the thing that's really confusing about it, the thing that really is the thing that bothers me a little bit about it is that if, if you're not sure that Eric McCoy is your guy yet, 
then get a look with at Nick Easton at center because we really haven't seen Nick Easton at center at all. We've seen him uh, playing guard with Eric McCoy on the field, or we've seen Eric McCoy at guard with Cameron Tom at center. And so it's, it's, it's kind of strange to continue to see the co-starting position when we really don't see much many snaps for Nick Easton under center or at center at all. So I think this is really just Sean Payton maximizing the time that he gets to really look at this camp battle because it is important. I mean, your center's calling out protections. He's setting up the offensive line. And so you want to make sure that you pick the right guy. So maybe we see more Nick Easton these next two preseason games than we have seen at center. But until then, I mean, we've seen Eric McCoy essentially working at center since July 31st at this point, and he's not given up that, that first team spot yet. Especially when you consider the fact that, you know, we, we talk about it, it's the fact you'll see Drew Brees out there for, at the most, two drives. I think it's the fact you want to wind up seeing which one's going to be with Drew Brees for one or both of those drives. He's, I could hypothetically see it be, if if Drew Brees, of course, does go two drives, you have Nick Eason be under center for the first series, and then you have for the second series, you see Eric McCoy there to kind of see who works best with all the ones that you have in place. Yeah, no, I think that's a great point. And I think that's a nice strategy, too, because then you get to see both of those guys work with your actual signal caller. And then you throw Eric McCoy in second, not to put him in a position to where he is, quote unquote, second in that in that race, but then you just keep him moving forward with the other quarterbacks throughout the rest of the first quarter. That's something I would actually love to see just to get an opportunity to see both of these guys working with your primary signal caller, the guy that's actually going to be under center throughout the season. Talk right now with Ross Jackson, a host of All Saints Considered and the Locked on Saints podcast. The man just knows what he's talking about when it comes to Saints. But of course, we won't have you on next week because college football week one will get kickstarted. We got so much to talk about concerning the Cajuns and LSU, but we're going to flip it over, looking towards that 53-man roster that will be finalized after Thursday's preseason finale. I want to get your thoughts on who are some players that are on the fringe of being on that 53-man roster in your mind? Oh, man. Uh, one of the first guys that comes to mind is somebody that's been on the roster for the last couple of years, somebody that was really excellent for the Saints in 2017, disappointed in 2018, and now this year looks like he might not. Yeah, at least he's fighting for a roster spot, and that's cornerback uh, Ken Crawley. Uh, Ken Crawley is somebody that has made a couple of plays throughout training camp. He had an interception a couple of days ago. He had a great pass breakup uh, on the Saints' last day of training camp. But then on a third and ten in the in the Chargers preseason game, he gets called for a defensive pass interference. Whether or not it was actually pass interference, hard to tell. It didn't really look like it from the broadcast angle. But, you know, look, they didn't review it. It ended up going converting that third down to a first down, and they ended up scoring on that drive. And so that didn't really work out very well for him. And I think that he's somebody that is fighting for a roster spot when he's got other talented guys around him, like Terrell Green, who is just a massively sized defensive back sitting at six foot three. And then of course, Kayvon Webster, who has a ton of experience playing as the dime corner and playing on special teams with the, uh, see what other three teams he's been with the Broncos, the Rams and the Texans. Uh, so he's somebody that's really fighting for a spot there as well, but he's going to be sort of clawing for the opportunity at that, that, that 53-man roster come roster cuts. Uh, somebody else that I would throw in there, uh, I'm looking at uh, over on the offensive side of the ball, uh, Dan Arnold. Dan Arnold is somebody that continues to really just sort of hang on by a thread. Uh, he didn't really get the best uh, targets in his last game, but he was targeted three times, walked away with no catches. And then, of course, he had the drop that ended up turning into a pick six 
in the Vikings game, which really didn't work out as a positive for him, even though he had a touchdown uh, earlier in that contest uh, from Teddy Bridgewater. And so he's somebody that I think is going to be fighting for a spot, especially with seventh-round pick Alizé Mack having come back to practice. And we're expecting to see him in today's game as well. Who would, out of all the all those players, who would you most be disappointed in not making that 53-man roster? Oh, I think for me, uh, if you look over at the huge wide receiver battle, uh, a guy like Keith Kirkwood would be really disappointing to not see, and he's somebody that is going to be playing for playing for his spot because not because he hasn't. Not because he's looked bad. I mean, actually, he looked really great when he got into that game, the Bengals game last year, and then performed well throughout the season after the Des Bryant signing and injury. Uh, but he's just somebody that hasn't been able to really produce during the preseason because he's been hurt. And so he hasn't really been able to go out there and sort of prove his worth and prove his value. So he's sort of riding on his reputation from last season at the moment. And when you have guys like Emmanuel Butler, who has been standing out throughout training camp, Simi Cobbs and Lil Jordan Humphrey, who are standing out during preseason games more specifically, uh, Austin Carr, who's drawing praise from Drew Brees, and we know We've seen in the past that if you draw you draw praise from Drew, then there's a spot for you on the 53-man roster usually. And so he's just got a lot of competition out there, and he's not really been able to get out there and fight for himself. And that could lead to a, a disappointing cut once we get to that 53-man roster. All right, one more for you, and it has nothing to do with football. It has more to do with the biggest debate that's been causing everything to go <laughs> on in the world of social media in 2019, the great chicken sandwich debate, Popeye's, Chick-fil-A. Which team are you riding with? Um, I am actually uh, Team Popeye's 100%, and the funny thing about it is that I've had neither of those chicken sandwiches. Uh, and, and, and I never will. <laughs> oh, come on, dude. My, I, I, it doesn't fit in my diet, man. Like it's, it's a health thing. And so I, I'll never really get the opportunity to, to try either one of them, but I got to ride with Popeye's cause Popeye's has been ride or die since I was, you know, a youngin. All right, dude, I'm just saying, man, like <laughs> I've had three guests on and it's been over three. Mind you, you're the one that's going to say you're never going to have it. I am telling you right now, like, yes, it's, it's part of the diet and whatnot, dude, just, just, just one, like, like right here, right now, you need to have it because, trust me, there's some me and family members have talked about. They are going to screw up the recipe down the line. Have it now before they screw it up. Oh, that's a really good point. I, what I need to do is find, like, three days to where I can just be, you know, be ill and just <laughs> enjoy myself with a couple of Popeye's chicken sandwiches just, <laughs> and just live it up, yeah. Just, just get it in before a, a Sunday, like, like a Saturday after the show. Get it, it, get yeah. it, Get it in your life, man. <laughs> That's estimates are the biggest thing I'm trying to tell everybody. But, Ross, thanks so much for coming on, my man. We'll talk to you down the road because football season, it is getting there. Absolutely, homie. Thanks for always having me on, man. Looking forward to next time. Can't wait to get the season rolling. Exactly. Cannot wait. You can follow him on Twitter at Ross Jackson ASC. Trust me, the man knows what he's talking about when it comes to sports. Maybe not so much chicken sandwiches. But if there's one man that knows about it, it's it's your boy right here because, trust me, I love eating some chicken sandwiches. Maybe it's a detriment, but I absolutely love it. So we're going to talk about that next as we wrap up the show in a nice little bow on Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com. We'll be back after this. From the preps. I give it a, uh, a 10. A 10. To the pros. Kick ass on one. Ready. And everywhere in between. 
Let's get back under the dome with the world-famous CD on Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD right here on Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com. Wrapping things up in a nice little bow. We're going to have a good day because, hey, college football's back in our lives. The Saints are playing today. It's going to be a wonderful Saturday, to say the very least. But, of course, we wrap things up in the show, and it's time for that last take, and I think you'll get quite hungry. Trust me, I'm already getting there. Just talking about the Popeye's chicken sandwich which I had this past Wednesday. It's phenomenal. But let's get to something a little bit different. More so, not, not a power ranking, but relative to that. Just before we close up shop here on 1037 The Game, the famous CD is looking to fire off one more take before dropping the mic. Is it going to be a hot one? Or is it going to be the one that he'd like to take back six months down the road? Let's listen in and find out. All right, it is time to give you an idea of what I've been getting to all show long, asking our caller, asking our guests about Chick-fil-A versus Popeyes, which team they're repping. I'll say this, I am repping Team Popeyes all the way with their chicken sandwich again. I think they'll wind up screwing it up down the line, but right now, it is positively fantastic. But we'll start things off a little bit differently. Not a power ranking. Instead, it's a Mount Rushmore, ladies and gentlemen, of chicken sandwiches. Where do they stand? Who's on the Mount Rushmore? Who's getting left off? Trust me, you're going to find it all out right now. I think first off, we got to talk about one of the founding fathers of chicken sandwiches, and this is definitely be a first-round pick for a lot of people. It is Chick-fil-A. Yes, Chick-fil-A's sandwiches aren't nearly as good as Popeye's, but you have to put one of the founding fathers, one of the big dogs of all big dogs, in Chick-fil-A belonging on that Mount Rushmore. I'd put it as my first pick because it's the one that put chicken sandwiches on the map. That's how we're rolling things here on this Mount Rushmore of chicken. That's how we're doing things. It's the Mount Rushmore of chicken. And now we got to go over to the second member of the Mount Rushmore of chicken. It's the Popeye's chicken sandwich. I'm not playing the soundbite again for a little while. But the Mount Rushmore of chicken, the Popeye's chicken sandwich, it's the newcomer to the group, but it is one that will stay in the minds and the hearts, definitely the hearts, of everybody who eats Popeyes on a consistent basis. We're seeing lines all over the place on the one not far from the 237 Roof Studios. That one is constantly packed. I know Thursday night, my dad was telling me, like, it was just absolutely lit over a little bit across town. That place was packed. I'm sure the Popeyes buffet, if they have it, it is absolutely insane. But again, the second member of this Mount Rushmore, the Popeyes chicken sandwich. That's how we're doing things. And this third member, on the Mount Rushmore of chicken, it is got to be, without a doubt, in this area, Raisin Cane's. Again, this is something I was thinking about before the show over the last week when I started hearing all the chicken sandwich takes is they have been hot and they have been absolutely spicy. And that definitely is a perfect segue to some of the sandwiches that they all have. Meanwhile, Raisin Cane's, it is an underrated 
chicken sandwich. Mind you, the chicken is absolutely phenomenal, but I don't think everybody gets the chicken sandwich. It's been a minute since I've personally had it because, mind you, I just generally just go with the box. But I gotta say, the chicken sandwich at Raising Cane's definitely deserves to be on that Mount Rushmore. If I was in a different market, different area, and grew up in a different area, it'd probably want to be in something like Bojangles or somewhere, or somewhere, something to that extent. Maybe even um, Wendy's or somewhere to that effect on the Mount Rushmore of chicken. The fourth and final member of the Mount Rushmore, it's got to be McDonald's, much like Chick-fil-A, one of the OGs, one of the day one-ish as a founding father. It's not exactly a beast in the business of chicken sandwiches, but you got to think that in the world of fantasy football, it's a value pick. You only get it whenever you only got a couple dollars left in your pocket. It's always going to be good for that couple bucks you're going to get for that and a drink and some fries. You're going to be good, brother. That's where you want to be. The chicken sandwich value pick. That's what I think about it. The McDonald's chicken sandwich, it's not as good as the Popeyes, the Raisin Canes, the, the Chick-fil-A. Bottom line is McDonald's definitely deserves to be in that because it is an OG. It is a day one. And how can you not bring that one up on the Mount Rushmore one final time of chicken and that's how we're doing things on a Louisiana Saturday morning. I'm about to get wrapped up here, but hey, keep it locked right here on 103.7 The Game because guess what? We got all kinds of great stuff, including Astros baseball coming up. The next two games are going to be right here. Actually, the next several. I think Wednesday's the only day where we will we'll not have it on 103.7 The Game. That's going to be on the Rewind because now we'll have the Coach O Show right after Five Guys Stories and Lies wraps up at 8 o'clock. That being said, we'll be getting back at it next week because college football in Louisiana is going to be back with the Cajuns, Mississippi State matchup, LSU, Georgia Southern. It's a snore fest right there. Obviously, a lot of other things as well. We got it all for you right here, so keep it locked. 103.7 Game has got you covered. So keep it locked, and I'll talk to you next Saturday. Oh yeah, kick it!